0: Well, good morning, everyone. So good to see you. It's September. It's my favorite month of the year. May or may not have anything to do with the fact that my birthday is in September, but I love September because I love fall and I love football, and I'm just excited to be in September. For all you summer lovers, I'm so sorry, Um, but here we are. Um, Next week, we're going to start a brand new series. I'm really excited about this. This will be a really important series in the life of our church, and it's simply called What, What Did Jesus Do? And we're going to take four weeks, and we're going to look at what did Jesus do to change the entire world. Jesus didn't just have a message, he had a method. And we talk a lot about his message, which we must, but for the next four weeks, we're going to talk about his method. What did Jesus do to change the world? So I'm looking forward to that. Please don't miss out on that. That starts next Sunday, September 12th. But this morning, we're wrapping up our seven-week series, Through the Life of Joseph. I hope you've learned a lot and grown a lot during this series. I know that I have. And here we are at the end of the story, and how many of you love happy endings? Like, you need a happy ending in the movies that you're watching. You, you get angry when the movie ends, and it's not a happy ending. I'm related to some people like that, and uh, it doesn't bother me a lot, but it bothers some people that I know. And you'll like Joseph's story because at least when Genesis wraps up, it has a happy ending. Uh, Joseph is reunited with his family. He's forgiven his brothers. His dad is still alive, and he gets to hug his dad, and they cry tears of joy together. And then Joseph is able to provide a safe place in Egypt for his brothers and his family to continue to be shepherds and to do their work and to live their lives. And it seems like everything's great. The family is protected for, the family is provided. Happy ending, right? But a few questions remain at the end of Genesis, questions like this. What about future generations? Will the people of God always remain in Egypt? Will they lose their identity in Egypt? Will they lose their mission? And what about the covenant promises that God made to Abraham, and what about the covenant blessing that came with the promises? And this morning's text in Genesis 48 is all about the word blessing. We're gonna be looking at the word blessing, and I think in our society today, the word blessing has sort of lost its weightiness. It's meaning, because we say it very flippantly, right? We talk about being blessed for very small things, or when someone sneezes, we say, bless you. We don't even think about what the word blessing means. In fact, there's a whole social media uh, hashtag, hashtag blessed. And so if somebody finds a parking spot at the mall on Christmas Eve, they, they post on Facebook about it, hashtag blessed, If someone finds a delicious uh, glazed donut at the fair covered with coconut cream, hypothetically speaking, they, they post a picture of that donut on their Instagram, hashtag blessed. But the word blessing in scriptures is a rich, weighty, meaningful word. And it has something to say to us this morning. Today's text is all about the blessing. When I talk about the blessing, to try to contextualize that word for our lives today, what is the blessing? And I I wrote this definition. The blessing is when someone or something outside of us, we can't give it to ourselves, it's when someone or something outside of us sees us, really sees us, and then can speak definitively and definitely to our value and our worth. Let me say that again. The blessing is when someone or something outside of you, another person, uh, an accomplishment, can look at you, see you, and say, you're valuable, and you're worth it, and I love you. And when we think of the blessing that way, we realize that every single one of us, up until this moment and moving forward, has gone through life searching for the blessing. We're all looking at other things outside of us and saying, do you love me? Do you accept me? Am I okay? You know, when you're a child, it often starts with your parents. You look to your parents for the blessing, and maybe you look to your siblings. As you grow older, it's, it's friends that you're looking to be accepted by and, and blessed by. And then there's other uh, grades in school, sports, music, art, college, relationships, boyfriends, girlfriends, spouse, career, The house you can afford, the car that you can drive, the the status of your bank account, your your neighbors and what they think of you. And then someday as you become a parent, now it's your kids and what do they think of me? And you realize like for all of your life, we've been looking in all sorts of ways for the blessing. We're just looking for something to tell us we're okay. I was listening to an interview this past week of uh, some people were interviewing Sean Penn, who's a famous actor. And they're asking Sean Penn, like, at this point in your life, he just, he's like 61 or 62 or something, to like, you know, you're kind of in the final chapter of your life. He didn't like that. But you're, you're heading into the final season of life. What do you have left to accomplish? What matters to you most? You're a famous movie star. You've, you, you've won all sorts of awards. You're doing all sorts of humanitarian work around the world. What still matters to you? And I thought his answer was so uh, stunning. He said, really, on that last day, speaking of his last day here on earth, I just want to feel as little shame." As possible. On the last day of my life, I want to feel as little shame as possible. And what I heard him saying is, I need a blessing. I need the blessing to take away the way I feel about myself. Human experience convinces us that there is a blessing out there that we all need. And so this morning, we're in Genesis 48, and in this story, Joseph is bringing his two sons to his father Jacob for the blessing. Let's read these first few verses of Genesis uh, 48, verse 1. It says, not, uh, One day, not long after this, word came to Joseph, Your father is failing rapidly. Jacob was getting sick. So Joseph went to visit his father, and he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. When Joseph arrived, Jacob was told, Your son Joseph has come to see you. So Jacob gathered his strength and sat up on his bed. And in this passage, in our final week of the series on Joseph, we'll see the blessing father. Jacob here gives the blessing. Joseph here is seeking the blessing. But Joseph is not just seeking the blessing for himself. He is seeking the blessing for his sons. And there's three things we're going to learn together this morning about the blessing that we all need, that all of us need. And the first thing is this, that the blessing that God gives us, it brings us in. It brings us in. Let's read in verse 5. This is Jacob speaking. He says, Now I am claiming as my own sons these two boys of yours, Ephraim and Manasseh, and who were born here in the land of Egypt before I arrived, they will be my sons, just as Reuben and Simeon are. And any children born to you in the future will be your own, and they will inherit the land within the territories of their brothers, Ephraim and Manasseh. And then Jacob has this moment of remembering Rachel, Joseph's mom. And then we'll go to verse 8 where it says, Then Jacob looked at the two boys. Are these your sons, he said? Yes, Joseph told them, these are the sons that God has given me here in Egypt. And Jacob said, bring them closer to me so I can bless them. And what's so interesting about this scene is it appears to be a blessing ceremony, but it's so much more than that. In fact, when, when Jacob said, like Reuben and Simeon, they will be to me, now Reuben and Simeon were his first and second oldest sons. Like Reuben and Simeon, they will be to me. Here's what it actually means in the Hebrew, that they will actually become, they will take their place, they will displace Reuben and Simeon as my first and second born son. These boys are not just becoming Jacob's grandsons in this account, they are becoming sons of Jacob, and they will become tribes of Israel. They're displacing Reuben and Simeon. Now, I don't have the time to go into it, but Reuben and Simeon, both in different ways, had sinned grievously against their father. And so this is why this, now Reuben and Simeon still had, they became a tribe of Israel also. But but Joseph gets the double portion here. As was promised, he receives two tribes from his family, Ephraim and Manasseh. This is an honor to Joseph. Among the 12 tribes of Israel, he has a double portion. There is no tribe of Joseph. Have you ever noticed that when you looked at the 12 tribes of Israel? Have you ever thought about that? There's the 12 sons, so there's the 12 tribes, but there's no tribe of Joseph. What happened? It's because Joseph's sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, became tribes, giving Joseph a double portion. And if you're good at math, you know, well, that would mean there'd be 13 tribes. But Levi did not become a tribe of his own. Levi was scattered amongst the tribes as the Levites were the ones who would uh, prepare the sacrifices to worship and serve God. Now, what's happening here, why this is more than a blessing ceremony is because most scholars believe that what's happening in this moment is a formal adoption ceremony. In fact, when Jacob says, are these your sons, it's a weird question because Joseph has already said, I brought my sons here. He's already seen them. So why is he asking this question again? And as I was studying that this week, they said that this question, are these your sons, functioned in a way similar to the question that begins most modern day weddings, which is this question, who gives this man to be married to this woman? And so when Jacob says, are these your sons, he is initiating a formal adoption ceremony. And the response that you hear at weddings often is her mother and I do, which is the parallel of what Joseph says and what we read. Yes, these are the sons that God gave me here in Egypt. And then we didn't read it, but Jacob goes on to kiss and embrace these boys, which was a significant gesture in the adoption ceremony. And then he removed the sons from his knees and bowed his face to the earth later in verse 12, which was the final gesture of this ancient Near Eastern adoption ceremony ceremony. This is not just, a, you hear what I'm saying? I'm being pretty obvious here. This is not just a blessing ceremony. This is an adoption ceremony. John Piper, a pastor in Minneapolis, says this. He says that adoption is the gospel made visible. Adoption is the gospel made visible. When someone brings you into their family and legally says, from now on, you belong to me. I take responsibility for you. My inheritance is now gonna be extended to you. You are outside of my family, but now you're inside of my family. John Piper says, that's exactly what God does for you and me. While we were his enemies, he sent his son Jesus to die for us, to bring us into his family so that we could be sons and daughters of God. And that's what I'm reminded of when I look at this story of what Jacob is doing here, to bring them in. Now, why do you and I need this blessing of being brought in? And the reason is obvious, because all of us have this inescapable inescapable feeling, even as children, that we are on the outside, that we're on the outside of something, that we're not let in and we're desperately trying to claw our way in. But once you've experienced the blessing of God that he's adopted you and brought you into his family, the life of a Christian, the life of a Jesus follower, the life of a disciple should not be consumed and eaten up with efforts to get in. When we live that way, here's what we'll be doing our entire lives. We'll be striving to get in, always trying to prove ourselves to other people, always trying to get access to inner circles. And then once we get in, our life will all be all about staying in, defining who is in and who is out giving our love and attention to the people who we consider also in, while trying to keep other people from getting out and judging them for not being on the inside. I mean, that is a summary of human nature, the way that we treat each other and the way that we live our lives. But the blessing that God wants to give us here to bring us in, it frees us to live our lives, to work and to play, not to get in, but because we've already been brought in. We're already in. It's the blessing of God. It's the blessing we all need. It's the blessing that brings us in. And John, the apostle, says it this way in his gospel, John chapter 1, verse 12. He says, but to all who believed Jesus and accepted Jesus, he gave the right to become. Now, this word right speaks of a legality. He doesn't just feel like you're his son and daughter. He's made you his son and daughter. Legally, this is an adoption process. He gave us the legal rights. He gave us his name and his inheritance were in his family to become children of God. John explains, in case you're confused, he goes on to say in verse 13, they are reborn. This is where we get the term born-again Christian. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan. So he's not speaking, of course, of being born naturally or physically again, but a birth that comes only from God. The blessing of God brings us in. And what's so interesting to me in this story is that, in a sense, in order for Manasseh and Ephraim to be brought in, Reuben and Simeon had to be cast out. Someone had to be cast out and removed so that somebody else could be brought in. And this reminds me so much of what Jesus did for us, that he was willing to be cast into utter darkness, the darkness of the cross, where he became our sin in our place so that you and I could be brought in the blessing that brings us in. A couple questions to consider before we go to our second point. What pursuits in your life? Just for a minute, think about your life, the things that you pursue. Your job, your family, relationships, your health. What are the pursuits in your life or what areas of your life when you look at them, you say, you know, if I'm honest, most of the time I'm just trying to get in. I just want people to notice me. I just want to prove to my boss that I deserve that raise, that promotion. I just want my parents to be super proud of me. I just want my kids to, to, to talk to me. I just want, what efforts in our lives, what areas of our lives are we really trying just to get in, we're a slave to it? And then ask yourself this question, what is that doing to you? What is it doing to your soul? What is it doing to your emotions? How is it making you treat other people? And the next question I want to ask is, Can you live, can you learn to live with this unshakable sense that Jesus Christ did everything necessary to bring you in? Nothing you or I will do will bring us in to what we need most. Jesus did everything necessary. This is the blessing he has for us. The blessing brings us in. The second thing that we learn from this text is not just that the blessing brings us in, but that the blessing lifts us up. So what happens next is Joseph, and the Old Testament narrative here is very, very detailed. It's interesting. It says that Jacob takes Manasseh, the older son, with his left hand and positions him by the right hand. Of Joseph or Jacob. So if you can picture this, Jacob is lying on a bed. Joseph is facing Jacob. So to get Manasseh to his right hand, the hand of blessing, the hand of power, the hand of authority, he has to take his left hand and move Manasseh into place. Then he takes his right hand and he moves he moves Ephraim into place, so that the older son in this primogeniture society, where the oldest son is supposed to get the greater blessing, so that Manasseh will be at the right hand side of Jacob and Ephraim will be at the left left-hand side of Jacob, but then Jacob does something unexpected. Jacob crosses his hands, and he puts his left hand on the head of Manasseh, and he puts his right hand on the head of Ephraim, and then he says this in verse 15, then he blessed Joseph and said, may the God before whom my grandfather Abraham and my father Isaac walked, the God, I love how Jacob describes God. Can you describe God this way? The God who has been my shepherd all my life. To this very day, the angel who has redeemed me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they preserve my name and the names of Abraham and Isaac. And may their descendants multiply greatly throughout the earth. Uh, Jacob is extending the covenant blessing here to the sons of Joseph. Verse 17. But Joseph is upset. He's thrown by this whole thing. He was upset when he saw that the father had placed his right hand on Ephraim's head. So Joseph lifted it to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. So picture this Jacob is blessing him like this, and Joseph is not happy. So Joseph gets up and he tries to grab his dad's hand and switch it over. He says, you, you've, you've, you've made a mistake here. And he, says, and he says to him, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. Now it's already too late. Because Joseph, or sorry, Jacob has already given the blessing, and we already know from other Old Testament stories, once it's spoken, it's spoken. They can't take it back. Verse 19, but the father refused. He said, I know, my son, I know. Manasseh will also become a great people, but his younger brother will become even greater, and his descendants will become a multitude of nations. And we see this in the story of Israel moving forward, that Ephraim becomes this powerful tribe. Now, What happens here is actually a constant theme throughout the book of Genesis, that God likes to choose the unlikely. He delights to choose the overlooked. He lifts up the least. He lifts up the lowest. There's examples all throughout the book of Genesis. The older brother Cain had his offering rejected, while the younger brother Abel's offering was accepted. Young Isaac was chosen over his older half brother Ishmael. Then Jacob was chosen. Jacob himself was chosen over his twin brother Esau, who, although he was just a few minutes older than him, he was the older brother. And then Jacob's son, Joseph, who we've been studying his life, he himself was chosen over 10 older brothers. And now Ephraim is being chosen here over Manasseh. God chooses who he wants and how he wants. And one of the commentaries I read said it this way, and I loved it, so I'm going to read it to you. God's grace, the grace that finds us and lifts us, must never become captive to position or privilege or, heredity or hereditary things or expectation or tradition or convention or disposition. God's grace is not captive to the things that we think matter. Instead, God's grace is sovereign. It cannot be tamed. The economy of grace operates on its own principles. It humbles human wisdom and it exalts the unlikely so that the last are first and the first are last. And if your heart doesn't rejoice when I read that, then, then, then it means that you don't see yourself as the last or the least. We should all rejoice and say, God, thank you that in the economy of grace, you did not choose me based on who I was, that I was impressive, that I was important, that I was moral, that I was religious, that I was spiritual, that I did my part. But God's grace reaches down to the lowest possible place and lifts us up when he finds us there. And that's the goodness of his grace. This is how God works. When God needed a public speaker for his people, he chose a stuttering shepherd named Moses. When he needed a giant slayer, a warrior, he chose a a harp-playing shepherd boy named David. When he needed a voice for his exiled people in Persia, he chose an orphan, a beauty pageant winner named Esther. And this is good news for you and me this morning because no matter what your story has been up until this moment, God can choose you and He can lift you up and He can use you for His purposes and His plans because the blessing lifts us up. And when Jacob crosses his hands, it tells us something very important that we all need to understand. And it's this that the crossed hands of blessing tell us that grace usually surprises us, grace is unexpected. Grace catches us unaware. There are people right now that you would not choose to extend grace to that God wants to extend grace to. There are a type of people in your life that you feel very different than, and you would say, well, let's just write them off, and God would say, no, I want to cross my hands for them. I want to bless them. And that's what makes the gospel so wild, And so wonderful because no one is beyond God's grace. There is a recklessness to God's mercy and that he will cast the seed of his word upon hearts that will never receive, but that's how much he loves us, that he chooses to lift us up out of our lowest point. Now we need to, as Christians, believe this or else here's what happens. If we don't believe that God has given us the blessing that lifts us up, then our entire lives will be devoted to building ourselves up, right? Right? And Christians, instead of building altars, will be building platforms for themselves. Instead of laying their lives down, they'll be trying to prop their lives up. And there's plenty of that in this world, and there's plenty of that in the Christian community. But when we experience the blessing of God, we no longer have to promote ourselves, lift ourselves up. We don't think of ourselves as more important than each other. We prefer one another to ourselves. We consider other people's needs and concerns before we consider our own needs and our own concerns. And we're not just willing, but we're eager to lay things down to bless and encourage others. But if we don't believe that there's a blessing that lifts us up, we will commit our entire lives, all of our energy and all of our emotion to lifting ourselves up. We will demand that other people lift us up. And when they don't, when they're not useful to us, we'll dismiss them. We'll be angry or we'll be insecure when when people don't see how important we are. We'll criticize and attack people who seem to keep us from being lifted up and we'll envy those who seem to have been somehow lifted higher than us. God wants to lift us up. In fact, the only people that God will not lift up is those who cannot receive his blessing because they're too busy trying to lift themselves up. This morning, here's a couple questions to ask yourself. In this season of life, am I trusting God to lift me? Or am I trying to lift myself? Am I trying so hard to be seen and important and noticed? Or am I realizing, God, if no one in this world notices me, if I'm unimportant, it doesn't matter because you've seen me. You found me. You reached down to me, and you lifted me up. Can you hear what God says about you louder than what you hear what other people say about you? Can you see the other people in your life as those that God is lifting up, that he wants to lift up, that he will lift up? The blessing lifts us up. And then lastly this morning, I'm going to have the band come up and join me. The blessing sends us out. Now, one of the things that we find consistent throughout the Old Testament and all of Scripture is this, that whenever God, listen, whenever God brings someone in, it's not to keep them there. God's not a collector. Collectors grab things and they surround themselves with it and they polish off their collection and they keep it propped up behind something safe so nobody can touch it. God is not a collector. He's a sender. And so when God brings someone in, he always brings them in for the purpose of sending them out to others. And when we get to Genesis 48, I don't want you to miss this, although it has a good ending, and everybody's safe, and everybody's provided for, and everybody's protected. Please don't miss this. The chosen people of God, they are definitely out right now. They're not where they're going to be. They're not where they're supposed to be. They're in Egypt. And Egypt is not where they're supposed to remain and not where they're supposed to stay. And for 400 years, they're going to become slaves to the Egyptian empire before God raises up a deliverer named Moses to bring his people into the promised land. And these two sons that Joseph brings to Jacob, we can't miss this, they were born out. They were born in Egypt. They're half Egyptian. I mean... When Joseph brought his sons to them, he must have on some level wondered, will my father accept them and bless them as his own? Because they're not full Hebrew. He had an Egyptian wife. And this scene is being played out in Goshen, in Egypt, not where the people of God are going to end up. This brings us all the way back to the original covenant that God made with Abraham in Genesis 12. In verse 2 of Genesis 12, God says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. Now, not right now, they're just a family, they're just a people, but there's a promise. And I will bless you, and I will make you famous. And look at this phrase, and you will be a blessing to others. God blesses the people of Israel so they can be a blessing to others. Verse 3, look at this next verse. I will bless those who bless you, I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And all, not just the Hebrews, not just the Israelites, not just the Jewish people, but all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. God called for himself a people. He made them his people so that they could bless the entire world. He blessed them to be a blessing. And if that was true for them, it's true for you and I as well. Maybe not in the exact same way, but this principle is true, that if God blesses you, it's so that you can bless others. How many of you would raise your hand and say, I have received the blessings of God in some way. In some way, God has blessed my life. He has done things for me that I could not do for myself. He has looked at me and seen me and definitively spoken to my value and my worth when nothing else could. Well, if he's blessed you, he's blessed you so that you can bless others. God brings us in to send us out. What he does in you, he wants to do through you. Whatever your story is, he wants to see your story multiplied in the lives of other people. God has not saved you just to get you from earth to heaven. God saves us so that we can join in on his work of seeing heaven manifest right here on earth. Two questions, and we're almost closing here. How has God's blessings changed not just your life, but the lives of those around you? How are his daily blessings flowing through you to others? And are you more concerned with getting the blessings of God to you than through you? Because I can tell you what God's more concerned about. He's more concerned about getting his blessings through you so that those around you can be built up encouraged, and strengthened and brought in. Now there's one final thing that we have to learn here before we sing. How do we get this blessing? So there's the blessing... That brings us in, adoption. There's the blessing that lifts us up, salvation, restoration. There's the blessing that sends us out on mission. How do we get it? What's well, right in the story, actually, Joseph brings his sons to Jacob. Now, his sons are actually in line as the sons of Joseph. Now, remember, Joseph is second in command in all of Egypt, and his sons are in line to follow in his footsteps. Manasseh and Ephraim someday can be rulers of Egypt. They can have all the power of the empire before them. But in this moment, in Genesis 48, in this scene, they leave it all behind. They give it all up to be counted in with the family of God. And they get the blessing of God, but in order to get the blessing of God, they turn their backs on the blessings, quote unquote, of this world. And they walk away from what their future could be to have everything that God has for them. One of the commentaries says it this way says that Joseph's humble presence was itself an act of submissive faith, because he had come to personally identify his boys with God's people, not the Egyptians. Such identification with a shepherd clan, which shepherds were an abomination to the Egyptians, such an identification with the shepherd clan would ultimately shut them off to Egyptian prominence. If they if they took the blessing of Jacob, they could never be rulers in Egypt. Joseph's presence with his sons was a by-faith exercise in downward mobility. So how do you and I get the blessing? Look at this last phrase. It's a faith exercise in downward mobility. That's how we get the blessing. We exercise faith in Jesus Christ with the willingness to move downward, to be the least of all, the last of all, the servant of all to turn our backs on everything that the world says. If you'll follow me and serve me, I'll give you this. I'll give you power. I'll, I'll, I'll give you pleasure. I'll, I'll give you control and all the lies that the world offers. We turn our back on those things. We exercise faith in Jesus and we say, you're the only one who can give me the blessing that my heart actually needs. Let's pray together.